1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from my fabulous friends. This week's episode of Dirty Rotten Church Kids is sponsored by a podcast. That's right. Podcasts supporting podcasts. You know, we love to see it. As you know, Western Christianity as we know it is not a monolith. There is so much variety in approach, theology, and even relationship to culture. And that, I think, is exactly where this podcast, Holy Smokes, Cigars and Spirituality by Christian A. Smith, occupies a really unique seat and has such important conversations. If you grew up in or around the Black church, perhaps experienced rigid doctrines that stigmatize sexuality or gender expression, or maybe even you experienced some of the ways African spirituality was demonized within the church experience, this podcast is probably just for you. Join Christian and the cast as they unpack their lived experience, deconstruct harmful theology, and build beloved community one cigar at a time. You don't have to deconstruct by yourself. If you are in the mood for a conversation amongst friends where you can bring your whole self to the table and where your lived experiences are centered, you should definitely give this one a listen. Check out Holy Smokes, Cigars and Spirituality wherever podcasts are found. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. It's Adrian, and if you're listening to this silky, silky, smooth voice, you know what it is. You got yourself another episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Welcome one, welcome all. So glad to have me back in your ear holes. That's a thing that people say often. Listen, if you're listening to the show, welcome back. So glad to have you. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to give a brief shout out to the most recent episode. At the time of listening to this, this episode will have rolled out a couple weeks ago. It was a great conversation. I had the opportunity to speak with the wonderful Joy Aladakun. They're absolutely amazing, incredibly talented. Um, It was just an absolute privilege to talk about their process and talk about the new music. Inspiring. Truly, they're inspiring. So speaking of inspiring, I love having episodes where I can co-host with inspiring friends. And that is absolutely what you all are in for today. So if you're listening to this, we have a very special, two very special guests, and we're going to do it one at a time. My first guest is a podcaster, YouTuber, and theologian, also a Twitter extraordinaire. You may know him from his podcasts, A People's Theology or the Black Sheep Podcast. Bad Apples, let's welcome Mason Meniga. What's up, buddy? Hey, you nailed my last name. Look at you. You know, I do research. You clearly did your research. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. How you doing? Where in the multiverse are you located for folks listening at home? I'm currently recording from the unbelievable city of Minneapolis, Minnesota, where if you haven't been, you better been. <laughs> That's great. Great. I'm glad we're able to do this. Thanks for taking the time to, to pencil me in. I'm so excited. It's been a dream to be on the Dirty Rotten Church Kids. So this is a dream come true. You know, when I was born, I was thinking, what is it in life that I want to do? I could be an NFL football player. Yeah. I could be, become the president. I could do all these things in the world. But then I was like, you know what? 
what's better than all of that? Be a guest on the Dirty Rotten Church Kids. And here I am living my dream. Well, I'm really happy that you're able to live your dream. This is a dream come true in its own right. At the time of us recording this, you currently are in the middle of a potentially viral tweet, as you often are at any given point in time. So I'm quite privileged to have to have Twitter famous Mason on the podcast. Yeah, I literally tweeted right before I jumped on and I told Adrian, who knows what's going to happen? And it looks like it's doing pretty well right now. So who knows? So every so often, we're going gonna to take intermittent Twitter breaks just to see uh, what the likes are at. Speaking of likes, there's another person that I like, Mason, you like, we all like, all the bad apples like. This is a returning guest, a friend of the show, a friend of mine. This guest is an author, speaker, podcaster, coach. You may know them from their book, Bad Theology Kills, or their podcast, A Tiny Revolution, among a myriad of other things. Let's welcome back Kevin Garcia. Hello. Meow, meow, meow. What is up? Hello, gay. How are we doing? <laughs> it's so good to see you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure and honor to be in this place today. I am glad I'm here and not other places, to be honest, because if I were other places, I'd be crying. You know, it's (laughs) funny you say that. You were talking a little bit how you've had a bit of a day today. Bad day. day. Very bad day. Terrible, horrible, no good, very bad. But you're a professional. You're nothing if not professional. Yeah. I'm at that point in the grieving process where I'm still in shock. And so my feelings are going to catch up with me in like two days. I'm going to have a complete meltdown. And almost buy a ticket to like go to Mexico or something. It's like clockwork with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm catching you like there's a delayed, there's a lag happening right now. Exactly. There's a lag in my pain. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that's good or bad, who can say. But for me right now, I'm functioning. And this is also very fun for me. So fun uh, distraction is necessary. Totally. At totally. Points. So Happy to fucking be here. It might hit hard by the time we hop off the episode, but in this moment, you're doing great. You look like you're doing great. You know, I did put on some concealer so you can't see the bags. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm shining a bright light in my face so that you can also like not see the wrinkles. Okay, okay. And for those of you who are listening at home, or if you're on the Patreon and watching the video version of the show, Kevin is probably going to sound the best out of all of us because they are currently in a professional recording studio. That is such an untrue statement. I am in a makeshift <laughs> creation of my own design with a very fancy USB microphone. Here's the thing, like you can do a lot with a little. That's true. Not that you would know though, Kevin. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what they told me before my wedding day. All right, enough. Penis jokes. Sorry. <laughs> enough penis jokes. I haven't had a penis joke on this show in a while. I was like, I'm, I'm maturing and then leave it to this episode with, with Mason and Kev. Well, I feel like this topic is going to bring them all out. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Oh, God, yes. There's the, the amount of like homoerotic shit that went down on the mission field. Not to spoil the, not that the title's given it away or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, before we get into this topic that I do want to unpack at length, as we often do, uh, I want to take a little bit of time. So, Kevin, folks know you, folks love you. You've been on the show a number of times, and so people know kind of some of your backstory, and we can certainly get into different facets of it later. That said, Mason, you're new to the gang. For a lot of the Bad Apples, they don't know, well, they probably know you because of the little corner of the internet that we all occupy. But for some listeners, they may have no idea who you are. So Mason, can we take a little bit of time and talk about you? Were you a church kid? Oh my goodness. I was the dirtiest and rottenest of church kids. Actually, or like you were a good church kid? I was as good as they ever. You know, (laughs) I I knew every VeggieTales song. Mm -hmm. I knew every Switchfoot song. And I read every John Piper book. 
Oh man. So I yeah. was the goodest of yeah, I was the goodest of church kids for sure. President of the youth group. That's right. Got it. Got it. So were you brought up in like like a Calvinist denomination? Like what was like the space you were brought up in? Yeah, it was really it, it, it was kind of weird. So I technically grew up in a United Methodist church, which for a lot of people who might know of like Christianity in America, they think of United Methodist as like super liberal, which in the US that's very true. But the United Methodist church that I grew up in was in South Dakota. So already and, uh, you're already a few steps back. So I grew up in a United Methodist church in South Dakota, but it also happened to be like, I guess it's like technically classified as a mega church. We had over a thousand like members. I think that's probably considered a mega church, although a smaller one. It was huge for South Dakota and it's probably just a big church in general. So because it was just a big church. Would you call it a mega church? Just a meh. Good church. Um, meh, good church. What a dad. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that one in before yeah, you just going. Mega, mega chick. So yeah, it was it you know had all the praise and worship stuff. You know, we I, I knew every Chris Tomlin song. You know, known to man. You still do. Yeah. Yeah, like that was the kind of church that I grew up in, where it felt like every non-denominational church, even though it was technically United Methodist. But because it was technically United Methodist, it wasn't overly Calvinist, although I don't think it was like anti-Calvinist either. So I got all the Francis Chan nonsense. Like a David Platt. Yeah, those were the people that were super influential. You got that crazy love. But then when I went to college, I went to a really reformed college. So that's when I like got all the Calvinist nonsense. Got it. So I feel like I got both worlds. Yeah. Did you go through like the cage stage of, of Calvinism? Like the, the Mark Driscoll stuff? Like, yeah, the cage stage of, of being a Calvinist, they say like for the first five years, you got to lock yourself in a cage because you're insufferable to everybody. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't locking myself in, but like looking back, I totally should have. Yeah, me too. I was the worst. Who among us? Who among <laughs> us? Let he who has not been locked in the cage stage cast the first stone. Okay. All right. So I think I'm starting to kind of understand that actually, Mason, that feels very familiar kind of brought up in like a traditional, kind of a very classic kind of non-denominational American evangelical thing, and then kind of like graduating up to varsity with Calvinist land. Right. And then what changed now? Like, like how are you now getting in Twitter battles with the Babylon Bee? Yeah. Uh, how did you do how it? How did you do it? That is a long ass story. Weirdly enough, so I, I went to this very Calvinist college that was in a very conservative part of America, and it was more or less a really conservative school. The religion department was really open theologically and politically to lots of different ideas. And going into college, I was already starting to have like a lot of frustrations around like purity culture and some other questions around like evolution and politics and all these things. Like I literally grew up thinking that Joel Olstein was liberal. <laughs> So I didn't really have anywhere to go. I just was like, I have some of these questions. I think I'm the only Christian in the world that has these questions. I get to college and I start reading people in my youth ministry and religion courses where I'm like, holy shit, there are like other Christians who have questions like this. So I started reading people like Nadia Boltz-Weber and Rachel Held Evans and Brian McLaren and Rob Bell. And I was like, okay, there's at least like five other Christians that have these questions. There's at least five. There's at least five. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And sure enough, you know, I, I look online and find that, oh, wait, there's like more of people like this. I'm like not the only one, which is really great for me. And that's when I like totally dived into that whole world and started finding about a kind of Christianity that I had no idea existed. And so I really like went head in on that, ended up graduating college, 
as a youth ministry and religion major, weirdly enough, still like super interested in doing ministry work, ended up going to seminary, ended up finding out about process theology and liberation theology. So I got even more into like theology stuff. That's where I'm at now. So I started a theology podcast and have just like immersed myself in that whole world. So that's, that's, that's how I got to a point where I grew up in that evangelical world and knew enough about it. And then also like became very much not that. And here I am now fighting with uh, the Babylon Bee. Yeah. The rest is history as they say. Praise be. Praise be. Mason, I feel like your story is kind of distinct to a lot of my other guests because you're not the only guest who's kind of deconstructed to kind of use the the junk drawer term and then retained some sort of semblance of Christianity. But certainly I think you're the only one of the few that has really attached themselves to theology as like a thing. The gate is narrow, Adrian. The gate is narrow. <laughs> it really and that's one of the most annoying things to me about you, if I'm being <laughs> honest, because it's like <laughs> I'm just like I, I've often said, like for the people that get mad at me for like, oh, you're not a Christian Mason because you're not a conservative Christian. I'm like, have you not met my friends? The most annoying thing about me is that I'm a Christian. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. And I'm like super Christian. And the fact that like you like you're like I was like, no, you are not going to take this away from me. And I used to have that, and so I am a little jealous of that. Mm. But at the same time, I'm just like, you know what? If that's your hill, you go live on it. That's a thing, totally. I don't want you to die on the hill. I want you to go live on. I it. like that. We all have our cross to bear. We all have our cross to bear. Mine's Christianity. (laughs) It is kind of interesting because like there's like Kevin who probably has crystals somewhere in the vicinity or some sort of. In my bag right now. Yeah, probably some sort of woo-woo magic happening over on your end. I have an Oracle deck in my bag. I have a tarot deck in my bag. There you go. See, you could probably reach into your bag and grab. And I'm sure, Mason, you could reach into your bag and pull out like a theology book probably within arm's length there's a, there's a crucifix right over there right now <laughs> the bonus episode after this is me and mason doing our different kind of like witchcraft versus christianity yeah, magic that's show. right but you have to really pay a lot of extra money on the dirty rotten church Kids <laughs> yeah. patreon page to get the access to that episode yes a lot of extra money yeah that's behind the paywall for sure <laughs> amazing amazing all right so i think this kind of laid the foundation right so here we are three people within in and around the evangelical space kind of on the other side of it and i want to talk about the main topic of the evening and that topic is short-term missions stms (laughs) stds and so uh let's do this let's talk about like where it came from so kevin mason when you think about how you were brought up as a church kid in church spaces sunday school middle school youth group how were short-term missions kind of peddled to you and made attractive I think it was like one of those things where it's like you do short term missions, not only to help people, quote unquote, help people, but also you're bringing them the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there was really no inhibition whatsoever from the church community I had grown up in to do short term missions. It was all, this is all great. Any kind of mission work, long term, short term, middle term, doesn't matter what term, any mission work is going to be great and you should all do it. It's all for the good of the kingdom. Yeah. Well, I think if you're in like the evangelical space, like the idea of spreading the good news, there was like a really big boom, even more so like, like the nineties, like there was something like kind of bonkers. I almost feel like these days proselytizing is kind of passe. Like it's kind of a, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not cool, Mm -hmm. you know, but there was like an evangelism explosion thing. Like there was like a million different things where it's like, proselytizing, like evangelizing is the only thing that you yeah. have to do. Mm-hmm. And is the only thing that matters. Like, 
even shitty churches have attendees because people are out there proselytizing. Yeah. I think it was the same thing for me was the the reason we are going on these trips the main thing is telling people about Jesus and making sure that they say the sinner's prayer and make sure they fill out this card just so we can say, hey, we saw 14 people get saved on our mission trip. And we built half of a wall for a school because none of us are actually skilled in any way. <laughs> but 14 people who we're never going to see again accepted Jesus. So we'll see him in heaven. Mm. So job's done. Wow. Yes, job's done. That, that was it. In my experience, it was almost easier to go on a short-term missions trip as a Christian trying to evangelize to people. Like I, I would go on a mission trip when I was a kid, and, and I would go talk to people about Jesus awkwardly on like the side of a street as the person's walking past or do like a sketch. But if I went back to my school, it actually felt weirder to try and talk to a friend oh, 100%. about my Lord and Savior Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. There's there almost like a disconnect. It's a stranger effect because that person out there in the world could reject you all day, but you don't know them. There's no risk involved. Yeah, yeah zero yeah. risk involved. For me, I was the opposite. I was telling, that's why I didn't have many friends outside of youth group because I was constantly trying to proselytize to people because I was afraid if I didn't, that they would go to hell and then I, that it was my fault. Mm. And I think that like that mapped on, like I think that's one of the reasons like I became a mission, like a, you know, went to become a missionary after undergrad because there was this conviction that nothing else mattered. Nothing else was Everything else was a, was a worthless cause to me. The zero risk involved, I've got a great story involved on this. So there used to be this like huge youth group conference called Dare to Share, which was like basically the diet version Dare of Acquire the Fire. You remember? That's how I found out about like propaganda. He was like a part of yeah. some of the early Dare to Share stuff before he like became not an evangelical. In Dare to Share, you would go with your youth group. And then at one point in like an afternoon or evening and one of the, the nights, you would go with your youth group and you would do like some sort of like proselytizing or like fundraiser or something like that, some sort of mission type thing. So my youth group, we were like collecting like non-perishable food and then we would ask people like, hey, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that kind of thing. Jesus. <laughs> and there, we went into this like really like kind of rich neighborhood. I don't even remember where we were at, like somewhere in like minnesota or nebraska or something somewhere in the midwest like we go to door to door literally door to door to one of these rich neighborhoods ask for perishable food and then at the end after they would give us perishable food we would ask them like hey is there anything we can pray about yes. or like do you know jesus is your personal lord and savior but one time <sighs> one of the doors we knock on the door opens up there is a girl that's probably like four like maybe four years older than me and i was like maybe 13 at this point so she's like high school girl then i'm like wait i'm 13 high school girl she is cool and so she opens the door and i'm like hey do you have any non-perishable food that kind of stuff so she like gets some perishable food she comes back down and at the end i literally go how can we pray for you (laughs) do you say it like that basically like i was just like so like oh, damn so like you were smiling because you thought she was so pretty and then you said something like with the same yeah, like, tone I, as I your smile I, meant to, I don't think i meant for it to come out that way but because i was like so like entranced by how cute she was i was like how can we pray for you oh man. wow so anyway you never asked me that that's true what the heck she probably was like you're in middle school get out of here yeah get away twerp yeah 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 <laughs> that's amazing how can we pray for you? It's funny. I want to talk about what you were saying, Kev, because you're not the only person who I've spoken to about this feeling like 
going on mission trips is the truest iteration of a believer's faith. We know someone who their mission in life, they thought they were going to grow up to become a martyr. Mm-hmm. That was like their thing. Like, I'm going to grow up Same. and be a martyr on the mission field. Yeah. Wait for your Columbine moment. Yeah. We were all, I was totally ready and willing to risk it all yeah. in some com- quote unquote communist country that suppresses Christianity. Like, I was so ready for that because your suffering in this life doesn't matter. Count it all as blessing, right? Yeah. Obviously, there's that feeling of like, I took it really seriously. But like, was there some sort of like personal itch that was scratched knowing like you were doing this like ultra important, like do you, you reflect on it. Was there anything like, oh, this was something for me too? I think reflecting on it now, it was mostly fire insurance, mm-hmm. if you will. I don't want to go to hell. I'm afraid of God. And like, even as I got older and like my relationship with spirit, like very much sweetened, if that makes sense. Like I got in touch with an actual spirituality, even if I was in an imperfect space. And then later on, it was like, well, I have to do this because I'm gay and I can't be gay. And the only thing I know how to do is to serve and give and give and give. So I think the reason like for it was mostly because like this is my ticket out of being gay. Strangely enough, because if I do all the right things, like they said, like, if you do all the right things, it'll push all the bad things out because that makes sense. That's exactly how it works. Right. (laughs) You just do a bunch of like straight dude things and then eventually you will be straight. That's how it works. That's how that works. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Works for me. (laughs) If you remember, like, do you all remember what your first missions trip was? So my first real mission trip I, I can share. But before I even get into that. Going to like children's church, there was more of this like building up your faith so you can stand up for your faith. So I remember like the first moment I was in like fifth or sixth grade and learning about evolution and like standing up and being like, I don't believe this. Nice. Or uh, I still remember there was a class book that we were reading that had witchcraft in it. And I was like, no, no way. And so I got excused from like having to read that book in class with everyone else. And I got to read my left behind series books for kids. (laughs) Children's church was building me up to youth group where now not only could you stand up for your faith, but also now you can share it. And so there was this pressure once I got to youth group and high school and middle school to share my faith. And even at that point, I started to have some questions around this where I'm like, Wait, literally just like people that I don't really know from my high school or youth group or from middle school, like I just talk to them about Jesus, like that doesn't, even if I don't have a relationship with them, they don't know my name, I don't know their name, and all of a sudden I'm supposed to like be able to convince them of Jesus and somehow that's going to matter. Like I already had those questions. Now, that's not to say I didn't do that, but only with people that I actually had a relationship with, like people who I was good friends with where I'm like, hey, youth group's really fun. You should come to youth group with me. And even like that questioning of doing that to a stranger versus doing this with a friend and realizing that there seemed to be something really icky about pressuring a stranger versus like inviting a friend. There was something about that I already was questioning where I'm like, now I look back and I'm like, oh, that's kind of a seed that was maybe planted of like starting to question all of this. But in terms of my first actual like short-term mission trip, I was, I think I was like 14. I think I was 14 and I went to the Pine Ridge Reservation. I grew up in South Dakota where there's lots of different reservations. And I went to the Pine Ridge Reservation where our youth group would go every single year. So this isn't like you go to a place that you don't have like any relationship with. Like we 
my my youth group had built a relationship with this organization that worked with all these people on the reservation. Yeah, that was my first experience with that. And it really changed my life in a lot of ways and a lot of really like ways that have changed me completely and a lot of ways where I'm like, wait, I had no idea about this in terms of indigenous relationships and indigenous history. And all of that was started because I was 14 years old and I went to the Pine Ridge Reservation. Mm. Dang. My first one wasn't near as good. We just went to New Orleans to build houses after Katrina. Oh, okay. That seemed like a really popular one. Like, I feel like a lot of people went to New Orleans for that reason, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, how did that go? We didn't do much. Like, we were like, we weren't skilled workers. (laughs) So it was like hauling stuff every now and again and maybe putting some nails in but like i was like 15 years old and like the only coordination i have is playing xbox and i'm not (laughs) even very good at that did you plan on doing that or did you see it as like i'm gonna go build houses or do you see it as like free vacation with my friends no i i think it was very clear that we were going on a service trip and like the place we were staying at was like a total piece of shit no air conditioning, you know, just living, you know, very holy. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. We're going to, we're really going to suffer. We're not going to complain. But then of course, like on night number four, they take you out into the French quarter and you just go walk around. But the thing about it is, it's just like, we're all under 18 and there's nothing but booze and booze right. everywhere. Right. It's a great place to take 15 year olds. Yeah. It's like the perfect first mission trip. Right. Right. But something I do remember, it was like the first time, like I heard like a whole, like just, we stopped and listened to this jazz quartet playing and it was like the first time i heard live jazz and it changed i don't know that was like a that was my holy experience for the weekend was sitting in a cafe realizing i said oh my god god is in this Mm. and that's what i said to my youth minister and he was just looking at me like i was some kind of weirdo you were like oh like blue like jazz yeah jazz blue like jazz and then donald miller wrote the book so yeah he stole it from me he was actually in the same cafe and overheard yeah yeah. he's like that's it i got it He's like, oh my God, the, the, the title for my book. They'll never know. <laughs> he grabbed a stack full of napkins and a pen and ran to the corner of the, of the, the cafe. Yeah. I was just going to say that was my first mission trip experience. And also my only mission trip experience prior to leaving to be a missionary. Oh, wow. Because my parents were the kind of Americans who think that everywhere else in the world is so goddamn dangerous. Okay. So us going to a very safe place in Mexico to build a, a, you know, another house or whatever, you know, I helped raise money with everything else. And my parents, you're not going, we just want you to be safe. And I'm just like, we're not going anywhere dangerous. So my parents were just fucking racist shit. Uh, Mom, if you're listening to this, that was racist. I know you're not, but if you are, I want you to know. That's it. (laughs) First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth. And this podcast is just that here at the speaking in church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church it's a podcast about change it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side you can listen wherever you get your podcast and if you want to be a guest yes you regular person you can be a guest on the speaking in church podcast if you want to come on just let us know when i think about these mission trips like i think you touched on it mason the reality of hell was like the lynch pin like it was like the pin of the whole kind of thing and it's like oh you see because obviously you're gonna go after hurricane katrina you're gonna go build houses or you're gonna go collect perishable food but that's not the reason 
you're doing it. That's right. like the ruse upon which like you can Trojan horse in the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe, you know, hook up with somebody. Ding, yeah, or, ding. You know, that was that was your Trojan horse. But like, yeah, like the, the it was kind of like undergirding every conversation and every interaction. And I do think that it started really young. And as you start, the conversation is more like, are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you afraid to talk about Jesus? Oh my God, are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you going to show up for see you at the poll? Right, that's how it started. Like, see you at the poll, talk to a friend, bring a friend to church, right? It's like levels on a video game where it just gets progressively more complex, where it's like, okay, now you're ready. All of these things we've talked about for the past 10 years or whatever Mm -hmm. is gearing you up for like some like real shit. This is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, like going from, you know, preparing for yourself around like, this is how you defend your faith against like evolution and all that kind of stuff too. Now you're going to share your faith to and share your faith at school to people, you know, or might see in the hallways to now you're going to share your faith to a cross cultural, like a person that might not even like have the same language as you. Yep. Mm. They just constantly prepare you for the next thing. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you're going to share the gospel because we believe whether it's the person that you see at school or the person that you see in Mexico, they're going to hell regardless. Mm. And you're going to be prepared to get them out of hell. Yeah. And that is your job. And you're 14 years old and you're going to be like the person that gets that person out of eternal damnation. You might be the only person, the only Jesus that they're ever going to meet. Right. They would say things like that. Which is why like you get literally, if you, if somebody internalizes that enough, you get like what we saw a few years ago, um, where that guy that went to that, like there's a protected Island of uh, indigenous people in India. Mm -hmm. Where, right. like, no one is allowed, like, three miles within the island, and he somehow, like, escaped into, like, getting into the island, and they ended up, the indigenous people killed him. I think about, like, what gets a person to the point where they know that this is, like, a really, like, a place where the indigenous population does not want you there. And there's all these laws that will prevent you from going there, but you are so convicted that you have to go there? Like what gets you to that theological and spiritual place? And it's it literally starts with all of us going from this is why we don't believe in evolution to this is why we share the gospel to the people that we see in the hallways at school to this is why we go to Mexico to eventually you get to the place where I'm going to go to a place where nobody has any idea what English is and doesn't even know any of this culture. And I'm going to harass them. Yep. I'm going to harass them, even though that they might kill me. And it's kind of like, a well, because they don't know any better. Like, they don't know what I know. Mm-hmm. It's this weird sort of condescension where it's like, you don't even know your own mind, you know? Like, you're dead in your own transgression. You don't even know that you don't know, right? And it's this weird posturing, infantilizing almost, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even know. You're just a little baby. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's the entire crux of it is that we're like evangelicalism has the same attitude as America, that like we are the parents of this entire world yep. and we are going to make sure that everybody does things the way that we want to. And when you don't do the things that we want to do, we're going to, you know, make life really hard for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within Christianity, making life hard equals I'm going to send you to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Eternally hard for you. Yeah, it, I'm going to make it very hard for you to say no to this. Yeah. It's going to be so hard that it's going to be short term. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the easiest hard ever. When I was like, funny enough, speaking of like short term, like there's, I did the world race and I know that there's a bunch of people out there who know what the world race is. 
11 months to 11 countries. 11 short-term mission trips back to 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 back. This is not like the CBS show. No, no, no. This is not the amazing race where you get to do- This is the TBN show. This is the Christian version of Amazing Race. No, deadass, there was a squad that actually had a documentary crew following them around, and they were actually trying to pitch a reality show based on this group being out in the world. And I'm just like- I mean, it would be really good reality TV because every single one of them is emotionally compromised and dramatic. <laughs> so, like, it would have been brilliant. I want to hear about this story, Kev. Can you can you talk about it some? I want to hear the whole thing. The reason I got I like first got kind of sucked into it was a uh, cute boy, classic me. But there was this guy who like I had a huge non-sexual. I'm sure it was a non-sexual. No, it was a very sexual crush. <laughs> uh, crush on this guy. His name was David. And he told me he just got back from this thing called the World Race. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And their marketing is supreme. Like when I tell you it's a gorgeous video, it's gorgeous photography, because, you know, there's all these like, you know, media types going out there and using their gifts for the Lord. And their marketing department, which I worked in later, does a fabulous job of creating and curating stories to bring more people in. And, you know, when I was going in there, it was like you'd raise around 16,000 to complete the entire trip. So 16,000 times 50 people on a squad times four squads every three to five months launching out into the world. You do the math. Holy shit. You do the math. And of course, while we're out there on the field, we don't see a whole lot of that money. And also we weren't taking care. They did not take care of our health very well, mental health or physical health. But like... The whole premise of us going out there with the world race was like they said that you're gonna, you know, going through the discipleship journey through adventure. And it was a really like you just really got to listen to the Holy Spirit, really got to trust God to lead you. They dropped us off in the middle of Serbia and said, ask the Lord what you should do. I'm not even joking. They dropped us off in Serbia and everyone else had mission contacts. Everyone else had like a ministry to work with. And they said to my team, ask God where you should go. So like we sat in like a hostel for five days oh with no money because we can't go anywhere or do anything. Just praying and asking God to show us what to do. And also such a small budget for food. Like we were stretching $20 between six people. And even in a place like Serbia, that's not a lot. What did you end up doing in Serbia? Just making it to the end of the... Pretty much like two of us went and helped at a kid's camp, but we were more of a nuisance than anything, if I'm being honest. And then we met this like one evangelical church person and I played guitar with him one Sunday morning for worship. Classic. Yeah. And I also made out with a local college student whom I was supposed to be ministering to, which also classic. Clearly ministered to him. Yeah. We spoke in tongues together, you know, (laughs) it was one of those moments also like on the mission field where it was like, okay, I don't feel bad about that. Mm. That's interesting. I must be so much in my sin that I don't even know what sin is anymore. Oh, no. And so, like, I doubled down on my fundamentalism, which only made me more depressed. I want to talk about what you were saying about the videography and creative types, because I feel like there are certain facets of the evangelical bubble that is a, a approved way to do something that you just want to do anyway. So, like, my theory is a worship leader. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Keep going. So like a worship leader is a a Jesus approved version of just a person who likes to perform or play music, right? Mm. Yes. 
a preacher is just a Jesus approved version of a person who likes to do public speaking or like casting vision and leading teams and doing inspirational talks. Yeah, inspirational talks. And I think missions trips and like people who are missionaries, that's like a Jesus approved way to do like cool videography or like do like adventure. It's like wanderlust with a Jesus fish on it. Yes, it's it's the granola girl, but saved. Yeah, you know, yep. And that's exactly that's there were so many of those people on my team and on my squad who were like very talented and very intelligent individuals who somehow we got it in our head that this was the best use of our time and the most the best thing we could do for the kingdom. None of us could admit that we just wanted to go on a trip around the world and do an adventure. No, we couldn't do that because that would be wasteful. We're here to serve. What's wild is like. If someone's like, here, Kevin, here's, what was it, $16,000 or like- 16000 Here's like $16,000. Do you think you can stretch that on a trip around the world? You'd be like, I don't know, maybe. But then you could at least own up and like, you know, you're honest with yourself and like, let's just do it for fun, you know? Like, you could probably do a lot of cool shit for $16,000. Listen, I could do a lot with a little. <laughs> I've always done a lot with a little and just- <sighs> It just, it's, it blows my mind. Bringing it back to my wedding night. Very good, very good. You know, you know. <laughs> but yeah, what's so funny is like- there's another conversation I'm having with one of my friends later on on my podcast about YWAM and mm. about world race and about youth. YWAM is youth with a mission. And it's the basically the same thing as a world race, but just like we're going to get all these teens or young people in a place. We're going to train them up for six months and then send them out for three months into the world. And then a lot of them just cycle back into these programs over and over and over again until they become unhealthy staff people who end up perpetuating spiritual abuse mm. and without any checks, without any people like coming to stop them because, you know, it's church mm. gets covered up so easily and so quickly. I've got, I have a Rolodex of horror stories that I could share. How did the, what's it called? The world race? Yeah. Yeah. That's the program I went through. The, the organization's called Adventures and Missions. How did that end? Well, first, I had to leave the mission field earlier than everybody else because I was going to unalive myself. Like I was I had the plan. I was going to do it. And then I told my coach that I was thinking about it. And he's like, maybe you should just pray about oh, it. No, there's a part of me that just screamed, girl, get out. You're in danger. And so I bought myself a plane ticket home, which I thought was shitty because the guy who had slept with somebody else on the squad, like they had sex, they bought him a plane ticket home. And I'm like. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm having a mental health crisis and he sinned. Like, <laughs> huh. So you had to pay out of pocket to get back home. Yeah. And then somehow, because trauma bonding, I somehow ended up working as an intern with him because, of course. And while I was there, that's when, like, I had, like, the last straw. I was dating a woman. But then I realized, no, this is not going to work. And every single one of my staff leaders and elders and trainers, whatever you want to call them, disciplers. They all got the same message that the Holy Ghost was like, mm, it's just not your time to be here anymore. And so I got kicked out of that. I got froze out. Like my position, I was applying and getting ready to like for this worship leading position that was opening up. I was a person. I was the worship leader. I was the one who had the degree. I was the one who had led multiple worship programs. They gave to somebody else who wasn't even a musician. And then I moved to Atlanta and I stole a mattress too. I stole a shitty mattress from them and I never gave it back. <laughs> And you became a witch. You became a witch. And then I became a witch. Yeah. Quick switch from, witch from switch. one to the other. <laughs> how, how far? Coming to Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Kevin Garcia. <laughs> how 
far after coming back from the world race did you start unraveling your entire belief system? Was there a lot of time in Atlanta before that started happening or was it kind of quick? So after I got kicked out of Adventures and Missions, it was kind of at that point because the reason I got kicked out was I was coming out of the closet. So like that was the first one. God's okay with gay people. I happened to fall into incredible like queer BIPOC community that was also really well versed in liberation theology and and organizing and all of the ands. So I got introduced to everything I would ever need within the first three years of coming out. I had like a PhD level education on queer apologetics and then some. Wow. That's probably a hyperbole if I'm being honest, but like I sat in enough like seminars feels like it. I mean, I feel like there are probably so many folks who would have loved to have such a safe landing space, you know, in so many ways yeah. that you, you got. For me, it kind of like, it happened very quickly. It's like, I pulled everything apart. I cried about the fact that I didn't know about if Jesus was still the same person for me anymore. And then I started leaning into practices. Um, so that's kind of where it, I, I evolved from there was like, I realized that that thing that I was worried about is non-essential. Mm. What does matter is me helping other people come to the same realization I do, which is they are free. It's probably the best pulling out you've ever done. <laughs> hmm. Mm hmm. And the least messy. Great. Thanks, Mason. How's your tweet doing? <laughs> let's let's look. Let's look, Adrian. Let's check in. Let's check in. This is a, just a check in. Halftime. <laughs> Halftime check in. Uh, we are currently at, it's been less than an hour and it's almost at 300 likes, which I think it will probably do over a thousand likes, which is pretty good. So for you, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Do y'all remember when we thought that we were going to lose Twitter, but now it's TikTok that we're going to lose? It's so crazy. Yeah, plot twist. Oh, the turns table. Yeah. Is there like going to be a new platform that everyone, like, can we get on like ahead of the curve and like find the next thing? Vine. Are we it's going back Vine. to Vine? Oh my God, please bring back. Called MySpace. Ever heard of it? Bebo. Everybody's just going to be on WhatsApp and just be on. Yeah. But of course, it's owned by Meta. So like mm. encrypted my ass. Encrypted my ass. <laughs> encrypted my ass i want to talk about my first missions trip that i well i okay I, there was a bunch of like close you know going into a city and picking up trash knocking on doors street evangelism but like i think my first like i'm going to the field you know was well, a few but the one i'm thinking of specifically was in college and this was when i was like in my Calvinist stage. I was in my cage stage deep in the cage and wow. we had my southern baptist church sent our college group to Montego Bay, Jamaica. And we, we went to Jamaica. Sorry. Oh, I'm just picturing little just you me. going to Montego Bay. I went there. We were like, we like got to the first day. Like someone offered us, like offered to sell us weed. And we were like, oh my God, no. And the reason for that was because we arrived there on the, the night of reggae fest. <laughs> oh my so. God. The way I would have snuck out wow. to minister to more people the way god works if i knew then what i know now i would have done the same yes i would have been like what a beautiful opportunity but i didn't i just stayed inside my room clutching my pearls it was like music and you could just like hear it it sounded like an absolute blast was happening and what we ended up doing was retreating to there was like a ywam somewhere there in jamaica a ywam base yeah and so we went there also they call them bases ew yeah 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 like a bunch of overly smiley white people. Very, very smiley. Everyone's so smiley. What it turned into, and here's where I think it's like the quintessence of a Calvinist short-term mission trip. 
we get there with the purpose of evangelizing to the people of the lost, the Babylon that is Montego Bay, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and we get there with the plan was we're going to go like do street evangelism. No, during reggae fest. Well, no, we didn't though, because we said, well, before we start talking to people on the street, because we were going to go with a team of people at the YWAM. And we're like, well, let's just like talk to them to see how they're doing. After a few conversations, we came away with the fact that the people at the YWAM weren't saved, that we were more saved than them. That sounds about right, because those YWAM base are too fluffy. They're not serious enough about their theology or like how atonement actually works. If that's not the height of like Driscollian, you know, neo-Calvinist <laughs> land, I don't know what else is. We were like, oh, my God, these people don't even know the gospel with a capital G and a trademark at the end, right? So we spent the whole fucking time preaching to the people at the YWAM. <laughs> it was the worst waste. It was such a waste. <laughs> when you say preaching to them, you mean like trying to get them to co-sign your, your Calvinist theology shit? So there was like a bunch of like kids there, like high school kids and like middle school kids. Yes, youth with a mission. Yeah, and so we were talking to them. As we were sharing the gospel with them, we were like, they don't understand... I don't even know the word now. They don't understand. Uh, Grace? <laughs> no, what is it called? What's, the, uh, what's the, 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 the thing you do where you hold something in your hand and you're like, God reaches down and takes it from you. There's like this whole visual metaphor. Oh my God, never mind. I just know the dirty cup, like the, the water, and then you just put like a little bit of poop in the <laughs> cup and then all of a sudden you can't drink that cup yeah, yeah, anymore. Yeah. Well, no, but we like, we're talking to these kids and they were like, yeah, like we believe that you're saved by good works or something we're like no never so we like basically spoke to the leader of that area and we're like hey we want to share the gospel with these kids and it was like so insulting to her i think we insulted her pretty bad she's like guys i thought you knew the gospel i thought i taught you the gospel <laughs> anyway we got to like just self-copulate our own salvation identity listen and uh, we felt so good about ourselves it was the worst listen sometimes you got to go save the people who are trying to save the people it reminds me of one of my mission trips to pine ridge i, I think i was like maybe already in college at this point but typically the way that we would do this mission trip we would go out to pine ridge we usually would run like a vbs and then in the evenings just our group, we would do like a worship thing. So we do like a two hour, three hour worship, like very Pentecostal charismatic thing. Oh, yeah. But that year, like halfway through the week, there, I think it might have been YM. Is that what it's called? YWAM. YWAM. They came, I, I think it was that group. They oh, came God. and they were in their like training. So there was like a number of people who were like all around the country who were super, super charismatic, many of whom like, had recently just become Christians. Nice. And they came to Pine Ridge at this group. And so we're like our group and their group mixed together. And we had been out there for like 10 plus years. And this is their first time ever going out there. Most of them are like not from the area at all. Like they're all from the country. JV. Full JV. Rookies. And so they get there and they find out they find out one of the people who was in our group who had been out there for a number of years was undergoing leukemia therapy. Oh, no. And so he was like, he had cancer. He was under like leukemia. So they start praying over him. Oh, boy. They like do all this stuff. They do the witchcraft. In the name of Jesus, this is going to be healed. All this kind of stuff, right? Shut up Shut up on Honda. Clearly at the end of the week, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And it was like one of those things where I was like, motherfuckers, what do you think we've been doing all this time? Do you think we haven't been doing any of this shit? Like, do you, do you think, think we haven't you been all of a sudden 
are going to start praying. You had this idea. You don't <laughs> think we've done any of this shit before? What do you? What do you yeah. think we're doing? Show us the toes. That's <laughs> what I say. But yeah, no that that saviorism is so pervasive. I'm going to, for the example you mentioned, Mason, I'm going to show up to a group of Christians or in my situation, a group of Christians and go, I'm going to save you. I have an idea. Let me save you. Or if you're the person who is the missionary, who's going to a, a protected space of people who are legally allowed to be a far away from you. And you are imposing that mm-hmm. because obviously they're infants and they don't know their own mind, right? This idea of like, I'm going to save you. It is so interesting how subtly that deck was stacked towards saviorism from the very beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I often like think about this theologically. I feel like I was having this like argument with somebody recently, but it was like one of those things where the people in the, at those islands that we were talking about before, before, like off of India, those people have been there for thousands upon thousands of years, isolated. They have had their own way of thinking about the divine, about spirituality. They've had their own way of thinking about this stuff well before Jesus ever came onto the picture. So why did all of a sudden God in human history think, wait, no, 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 no. This Jesus guy is the way to go. And everything prior to that makes no sense and actually means all those people are going to hell. Right. Except for the ones in Abraham's bosom. How all of a sudden in human history did that happen? And yet you're going to a place where these people have been like, they've been thinking about the divine spirituality. They've been thinking about all this stuff for well before Jesus came. And suddenly you have the answer. What the hell? What kind of way of thinking about the world is that? (sighs) That's the attitude that mission, like mission work brings to everyone is like the place that like I got, you know, the first time I got spiritually sober, if you will, I... (laughs) I was in India and our whole task while we were there was to, we got put up in front of these churches in these remote villages and were asked to preach through a translator. And I just like realized, I'm like, what the fuck do I know? Mm. I'm 24 years old. I have a degree in music education. What do I know about these people's lives out here in the literally like very, very, very rural India, no water running water, no real electricity. And they're like slaughtering the goat for us. Literally. That actually reminds me a lot of like my own story where one of the biggest moments of my life where I was like, wait, all this could be wrong was when I realized, wait, what if I grew up in Iraq Mm. and grew up Muslim? I would be doing the same thing right now where I was trying to convert people to Islam Mm -hmm. just because I grew up there. But I happened to grow up in South Dakota. And that meant that I was trying to convert people to evangelicalism. And that like moment of realizing, wait, just because of where I grew up in is why I'm doing what I'm doing. That was a huge moment for me to realize, wait, what if I'm the one that's wrong? My name is Catalina. I'm a pediatric resident currently living in Lexington, Kentucky. When I grew up, I was in a non-denominational kind of charismatic background, which really emphasized more long-term missions or like local evangelism and recruitment to the church. But when I was in college, I joined BCM, the Baptist Collegiate Ministries, and they had a huge emphasis on more short-term mission trips. 
because you know you don't want to help people long term you want to do short things you want them to be able to do the thing on their own you can't constantly be doing non-sustainable things in in other countries and so I'll never forget when I was in my third year of undergrad we went to Peru and one of the other members was Peruvian and I'm half Peruvian half Colombian I was so excited and we're halfway through the mission trip. I'm standing on the street and there is a light-skinned Latino on a billboard. And one of the very white BCM members says to me, do you think your people revere us? That must be why they're so excited to have us here on this missions trip. It's like they want light skin. And that was the moment in 2015 that I started deconstructing because I realized I did not want to worship a God that glorified small vacations with missions in quotes to advance white supremacy. Hi, my name is Violet. I'm located in Tucson, Arizona, but I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, home to Liberty University, Jerry Falwell, Thomas Road Baptist Church. I went on several mission trips, many mission trips actually, I would say probably over 10 in middle school and high school. I was taught that we were out there like making a difference for Christ, saving the world. We went to Guatemala, inner cities in Charleston, Philadelphia. It was the most like white saviorist thing that I can think of. I feel really ashamed of going on mission trips the colonialism and racism and white supremacy that we perpetuated really like, yeah, I feel ashamed of it. I know that like what we were doing was, was wrong and, and hurtful and harmful. Not only were we taught about how we were saving the world and all of this, but that like it was our duty to do that, that we needed to go out and be these like massive change makers for Christ, which really saddled me with a lot of like feelings of like, oh, I always need to be doing something super important with my life. Like I was playing video games yesterday, Death Stranding, thanks to you, Adrian. And I was like, oh my God, I'm wasting my time. And this still comes up for me. Hey, Adrian, it's Nathan here calling in from the unsurrendered territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations, colonially known as Vancouver, British Columbia. My experience around missions I had cousins who were missionaries in Indonesia in a remote village for 20 years or so. Their family still goes back, although to different parts. And they were always talked about in really high esteem. From that, we were always encouraged to go to do these little short-term mission trips, which at the time I thought was amazing. I mean, it was, I remember growing up wanting to be a missionary. That's all I really envisioned for myself. I wanted to share the gospel, as they say. And now I'm very much opposed to that. I work with vulnerable populations here on Vancouver's downtown east side, which is hit very hard from the toxic drug crisis. And I see how if you connect with someone and you just hang around in their life for a very short period of time, that's just gonna further disenfranchise someone and make them feel even more isolated. And I see a lot of that going on with short-term missions, which really we should just be calling what it is. It's humanitourism. Now I see it as a very harmful thing and very ignorant. It's, from my perspective, I feel like it's very self-serving for someone to go on a short-term missions trip rather than just support an organization that's actually helping people. Hi, my name is Kelly and I live in Pittsburgh. Growing up in the church, mission trips were prioritized. 
The congregation could choose to send their tithes specifically to the mission funds. And we had a sister church with a small church in Uganda that we'd send groups to each summer. Growing up, I dreamed of going with a group to love on the children, do some volunteer work, and spread the gospel. I think I secretly wanted the clout that came with mission trips and going abroad to take selfies of myself doing, quote, God's work. I never went though, my family couldn't afford the $1,000 in fees. I still had a heart for service and enjoyed local volunteer work and became an EMT during college. So after I graduated, I joined the Peace Corps and ended up, ironically, in Uganda for two years. I stayed in a rural area outside Masaka City, about four hours from the capital, as a health volunteer. In the American summer months, I noted an increase of white travelers in the city who were on mission trips. But by this time, my perspective had changed. I saw inexperienced and unqualified volunteers taking work away from locals who could get paid for it. I saw an infinite loop of foreign aid where the receiving country becomes dependent on the aid, unable to stand independently in textiles and agriculture. I saw the severe impact evangelical Christians had on anti-LGBTQ policies and laws. And I saw this because that's how I felt about my service and myself. Though the Peace Corps isn't religiously affiliated, it still resembles modern day colonialism, sending young, unqualified college graduates to countries in need. Though I had a positive experience with my service, with the relationships and friendships that I made, it came with a tremendous weight of guilt, wondering if I should even be there in the first place, and if I was adding to the problem of dependency. Hi, Adrian, long-time listener, first-time caller. My name is Julia, and I live in Minnesota. I have so many thoughts about short-term mission trips. The general teaching in the churches that I was a part of growing up was that short-term mission trips were a great way to serve God and serve others. So I went on my first short-term mission trip to Canada, where there are so many unreached people, as a seventh or eighth grader, then went on several more throughout middle and high school. It kind of culminated for me when I attended Teen Mania's Honor Academy, where my work assignment was with their short-term missions empire called Global Expeditions, where I was recruiting kids to go on mission trips, hundreds if not thousands of them went through global expeditions every year. So I feel like there's the larger, more important conversation that needs to be had about short-term mission trips and colonization and the literal (laughs) disaster that most short-term mission trip groups leave in their wake. But one interesting thing that I've been thinking about since I first saw this prompt is that going on a mission trip as a 16-year-old I went to Costa Rica and that was one of the first things that prompted questions about like the framework that I was given. Like if the gospel really is good news for all people, like how is it about me praying to Jesus for a good parking spot or good grades when there's these kids that I spent time with living in poverty and are without very basic things like why would he not provide those things for those kids at the same time that he's providing me these little things. So I look back at that now as one of those kind of early threads that I started to pull on that then kind of 10, 15 years down the road has led to this complete deconstruction of my faith. There's something that I think a lot of people took away from their mission trip experiences was really just exposure to other cultures. Like yes. you have this whole idea, like I'm going to go like have this incredible opportunity to stand up for the gospel. And then you come back on like this emotional high. It's like youth camp 
but like varsity youth camp, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you had VBS and then you graduated up to youth camp. Then you go and you go to, to missions trip and you come back and you're like glowing. And you're like, Oh my God, I had this like amazing experience. And on some ways, maybe you can say, Oh, I like led someone to Christ or I was persecuted for my faith. But I think if you get down to it, you're like, I just got a really cool life experience where I saw people experiencing the world in a corner and in a context that I've never experienced before. You're like, no, that's just, context man you just Mm -hmm. added an experience yeah that's like that's encountering something you've never experienced before and i will say as somebody like on the far side of all this bullshit i still think travel is incredibly important Mm -hmm. i still think experiencing those things is incredibly important because exposure exactly because of exposure i need to figure out all the other ways that i'm wrong still Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. still pulling back those layers i was telling adrian before we started recording like like i said before i went to pine ridge reservation to this day, I'm still friends with a lot of those folks. And I don't know if like some of those people are still Christians or not. I don't know. But what I learned about the indigenous experience, specifically the Lakota experience and Lakota history, I will never not. Like, it's kind of one of those things like Rob Bell would say, like, once you see, you cannot not unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. Once I learned and once I saw the Lakota experience, I couldn't unsee. I couldn't unlearn. Mm. To this day, I'm still like indebted by my relationship with those with those friends, the Lakota friends from the Pine Ridge Reservation. I'm still friends with them to this day, and I'm still shaped by that experience, even though my entry into that experience was like very fundamentalist, Pentecostal kind of Christianity. I come out of it very differently, and I'm still very shaped by that experience so much. So the Pine Ridge Reservation is like known for being very like impoverished this church was too. Like I, as much as I grew up in like a very like wealthy, affluent mega church, this church was maybe 20 people would show up on a Sunday. The worship leaders, the the pastors there were people who like were high school dropouts. They like had their own struggles in life and then found God and whatever. And that was their story. And they show up to this church in the middle of Pine Ridge Reservation and they start worshiping. And these are people who are wearing like basketball jerseys and cutoff shorts to worship. And there's cockroaches running around the ground. And like, that was my worship experience at this place. And that's not to like say that it's like any worse or better. It's just to say like, that was the experience. It wasn't affluent. It wasn't wealthy. And yet, like, I'm still shaped by that to this moment of Hey, like a lot of my people that I have become friends with are people who grew up in that world and I'm shaped by that. I'm formed by that. And to this day, that's what has shaped me, even though it was all in this context of like fundamentalist Pentecostal Christianity. Because if God can speak through an ass mason, he can move through a bullshit mission trip. Come on now. (laughs) I feel like there is something that I've heard a lot from youth pastors that like when I was coming up. They would often say something like, yeah, like short-term mission trips, like you never know, you know, you're going to share the gospel. I, one thing I heard is like, you never know where on the clock you are. If let's say 12 o'clock is a true salvation experience. Like you might just be like two o'clock to three o'clock. Who, who knows where you are in this person's journey to mm. whatever. They're 20 seconds to midnight. <laughs> 20 seconds to midnight. But like your job is just to share the gospel <laughs> and uh, missions change you. Yeah. Our pastors like growing up would say the reason we send our kids to camp and the reason we send our kids on mission trips is because those experiences change them, change them profoundly. Right. Yes. And I also think like in some ways, like it brainwashed a lot of us into thinking that like 
this is that this is okay that this is how a good and honest faith works well that's the thing is like it for that particular experience for me it changed me in a way where it was like wait yeah it woke you up like the way america treats indigenous people is fucked up yeah and that changed me and you know again like you just develop those like authentic genuine relationships in that way and it's like i i feel like any good relationship like that is going to change you right so that's why I'm like, as much as I, I think we shouldn't do short-term mission trips, at the end of the day, also, you are going to be changed by the relationships that you form that might be different than how you grew up. And that's, you know, go back to your point, Kevin, of like, hey, go travel the world and you're going to be shaped and changed by that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you allow yourself to be open completely for something like a moment like that where you're going on a short-term mission trip, yeah, you might be changed. It just might not be the kind of change that the evangelical world is going to want you to be changed by. 100%. Oftentimes, the things that people will come away with saying, like, I, I didn't realize that I had it so good here. Mm. I didn't realize how materialistic the American church has been. Or I didn't realize how dissatisfied I am with all of the things that I've been afforded. Like, those are a lot of the things that a lot of kids coming back from mission trips say. And in reality, you didn't need to have a Bible in Montego Bay, Jamaica on Reggae Fest to come to that term. You could have just gone to any place just to visit it. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I think exposure, is, it's sort of like you can get something from prayer and you can also kind of scratch that itch from gratitude and mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think like you can get something from short-term mission or you, you might have gotten something from short-term mission trips, but in my opinion, I would contend you probably would have gotten a very similar thing if you had just exposed yourself to that. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Do you think the reason that like we do mission trips is like the same reason that like we were talking about earlier, how a worship leader is like just a, you know, a a Jesus approved way of being a musician, like a professional musician. Do you think that like mission trips and like, especially if you become a professional missionary, like I did, it's just a Jesus approved way of being a nomad, being a traveler. Bucketless family, kind of like you just get to wander around and kind of live. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something romantic. Oh, 100. Oh, my God. Yeah. But it's just as romantic as like living in a in a bus. You know what I mean? Like, or living in a tiny house or there's something romantic about van life or whatever. I think like that scratches a very similar itch as like the missionary thing. Yeah, that you're living on very little. Yeah. yeah. A, you know, a little goes to a lot. <laughs> That's right. Bring it back. Bring it back <laughs> to your wedding day. But Kevin, here's the thing that I like, I've actually thought about this with your particular story, because, you know, I knew this story before, but there are like skill sets that you developed when you were doing that mission work that I still see you doing that kind of work today. Not like Like theologically. You should see Kevin's face right now. (laughs) Clarify, Mason. Clarify. Horrified. Horrified. So Kevin, I'm still like jealous of like how you're like, I need to figure out how to pay the next bill. Hmm. The people that I know that grew up or were doing that kind of short-term mission work, especially if they went like abroad, they build up skill sets where they're like, I know how to make the next bill. Like I know how to pay the next Resourcefulness. bill. Resourcefulness. Yes. There is yeah. something about that kind of skill set that you learn in that. And I'm like, it shouldn't have to be through short-term missions. It shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. But also for the folks that did do that work, and ended up leaving the mission work or end up leaving evangelicalism, they build up some really incredible skill sets that like will help them later on in life. Oh, yeah. Even though I don't think it's justifiable, right? Sure, 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 sure. 
So like, I look at like the work that you're doing of like, how, you know, how, how do I figure out how to pay the next bill to do like this really cool, incredible work in the world? I think some of the skill sets that you learn from that end up translating, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, as much as I hate to admit it, what's very interesting is that like, it's because of the world race that I initially started blogging because that's what they encouraged us to do. And then after I left, I kept doing it. And then Rachel Held Evans shared my blog and then it was off to the races after that. Yeah. They taught me really how to write in a compelling way and also like how to form your captions, like how to basically how to brand myself. Mm-hmm. 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 I did like videography and photography and like you learn how to shoot on the fly, how to capture moments, how to edit quickly. Like when you're sitting like while you're waiting for a bus or whatever, like I think there's a lot of people who are like missionary kind of content creators who would be great photo journalists or like, oh, yeah. you know, like great travel journalists. I mean, yes. you learn a lot of skills, but again, right. Like that, you didn't need Jesus for that. <laughs> you could have just traveled. I watch like a, a lot of videography, photography YouTubers, and I can tell immediately if they come from the evangelical world because they're so good at it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the people who are like just naturally really good at it, even if they don't have like the technical skills, I'm like, this person totally came from the church for sure. It's like an on-camera thing. Just like being able to like, yes. I'm communicating with the person on the other side of this video screen, not the camera itself. Yeah. It's like I can tell a person's Christian by their pedal board. Let me look at your guitar pedal board. Oh, you're a friggin' Christian. I can see. Yeah, you got the soft pad right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I see you. What kind of shoes you got? Suede Chelsea's? Frickin' Christian. I got you. I'm wearing suede Chelsea's right now. <laughs> That's, <laughs> you might be the most Christian out of all of us right now, Kev. It's certainly possible. I'm also wearing a rosary. Oh, man. I'm That's telling it. you, Kev, That's you it. are Christian as hell. Yeah. But it's got a skull on it and Mary on the bottom. So, like, the aesthetic for you that. you never heard of Guadalupe? The, the aesthetic for that I call is uh, Nashville sexy. <laughs> Nashville sexy is a very distinct aesthetic and you know exactly what it is the second I say it yeah because Nashville sexy is like what the gays in Chelsea are wearing <laughs> like the gays in Chelsea New York like they all they dress it's it's a circle Nashville they sexy. dress exactly the same it's very confusing you'll go someplace and you're like oh man this place is very Nashville sexy I just want you all to know that's an Adrian Gibbs original you will think of it every time you go to some place that's you see a person with black ripped jeans maybe like a leather jacket or a side part mm-hmm. Nashville sexy yeah, or like a pompadour in like the, or um, sometimes it's an undercut. They're, sometimes they'll they'll borrow from the the queers. <laughs> Although the queers have moved on to the mullet, mm. we're doing mullet. I'm a fan now. of the mullet. It's a big. It's lots of fun. Yep. When I go to a hardcore punk show now, I don't know if somebody's gay or straight. It's hard to tell now. It's confusion. It's confusion. I met a friend recently who um, he grew up in the punk scene, so like everybody was a little queer. <laughs> He said, what does it mean that I'm attracted to trans women? And if they have a dick, I'm really into it. I'm like, I think that means that if you're attracted to trans women and they have a dick, you're really into it. That's what it means. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. That's a side story that has nothing to do with this. That's great. Little goes a long way. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know have any cool way of transitioning. Y'all. Do you have any way to transition? Adrian, there's so many oh, ways to right. transition. You're right. you're right. Let's talk about this then. As you reflect Excuse, back, are you in Tennessee right now I'm in or what? Nashville sexy, baby. As you reflect back, right, on this side of your faith journey, right, in all of its evolutions and forms, what are your kind of closing thoughts or what are your takeaway thoughts when you reflect on what short term missions meant to you, what they represented to you, and maybe what they represent as a whole? I think for some, I, I would say specifically, like, 
my brand and flavor of short-term missions being from the weird like mission trip like professional missionary world where we just did a whole bunch of short-term mission trips all the time it it really did and is still wounding a lot of people Mm -hmm. not just queer people either i'm like i don't know a single person who left the world race and does not have some form of ptsd unless you were the white guy who like just did everything right and yada 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 but for the rest of us who had doubts and who were queer and who were women and who were you know it really just screwed us up a lot our purpose was wrapped up in it our destiny was wrapped up in it our salvation was wrapped up in it and then when you leave spaces like that it leaves like the whole of purpose Mm. like it's like i don't know what i'm supposed to be doing now and like i think that there's a little bit of arrested development that happens in a lot of people who gave their lives and their money and their you know banked their careers on that sort of thing. So my, my thoughts on her is just like an evil billion dollar industry. Here's the thing that makes me so annoyed. If you look at the numbers, like it really is like a billion dollar industry. There is not a billion dollars worth of difference in the world. Mm. If I raise $16,000 to go around the world, there should be $16,000 worth of difference out there, but there's not. Mm-hmm. And all these mission trips that we raised money for, I raised 10000 just for my youth group on the trip that I didn't even go on. There's not $10,000 worth of difference in that town. Nope, there's like a half-built building that just kind of There's a half-built school. Yeah. And the people who are actually skilled who like wanted to work on it can't actually get paid for it because they didn't do the work. It's great. Yeah. And so I would just like to say that if uh, you're still out there and you're questioning whether or not you should go on that mission trip, I would say, girl, do something else. Literally, do something else. You don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. You don't want to do that. And even if you do want to do that, stop it. You're being a colonial. Yeah. How about you, Mason? What are your thoughts? Yeah, we've already mentioned a few times about like the guy who went to the protected indigenous group off of India. And I think that's like an extreme example, but I think it's also representative of what missions is, is this idea that we have something that is superior that needs to be brought to a certain people group. And whether it happens to this island off of India or whether it's India itself or whether it's China or whether it's Africa or whether it's New Orleans doesn't matter at the end of the day going in with that kind of assumption means that you are superior and you have something better to offer than what those people themselves have to offer and i think that alone is already the colonialist assumption Mm. and so at the end of the day it's already inherently colonial right i would say no go just don't even bother fuck it even if even if like I mentioned, you know, like in those moments, there's some things Kevin has already or that Kevin has developed has there, there's some sort of like beauty that has come out of those kind of experiences, oh, sure. I would say for Kevin, barely, but there barely. are some, there have been some for me, but they're not worth it, right? Because at the end of the day, they come with this colonial assumption. That is so important and clear. And I just, those good experiences happen in spite of the environment and the context exactly and the thing is you can have again we've i think we've said it a thousand times is that you can experience those things in greater ways outside of a colonial or fundamentalist system where you don't have to have an agenda the experience is not exclusive to the church the let me just say this another thing the experience of the divine 
is not exclusive to the church. That spiritual high feeling that you're chasing after is not exclusive to the church. In fact, you can find it in more freer ways outside of it. And if you do find it inside of a good church, it's a fine thing too. And I just want to say that for the Christians in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Mason. Sorry, Mason. The one. (laughs) When I think about my experience, I spent a number of years in the Philippines with my family. We lived there for a while, for like three, four years. And the number of white missionaries that came through was wild. And beyond the number of white Christians that came in, whether they were from like Australia, that was like really sexy because they were Hillsong-ish, or whether they came from Nashville because they were Nashville sexy, whoever they came from, almost worse than the sheer volume of white people coming in was the way that whiteness was idolized by like all of us brown folks, myself included at the time. Mm. And this interesting notion of like, well, they're doing it right. And so much of my Christianity, as I reflect back on it, was really formed around like proximity to whiteness, trying to imitate whiteness as close as possible. So we would like change the songs we were playing because what's Hillsong doing, right? We weren't doing it because Hillsong was a mega church and we wanted to be a mega church. We were already a mega church in the Philippines, but we wanted to be a white mega church. Again, in my experience, we went to all these different places, right? You would have a bunch of kids from Jamaica there at this thing, but it's all run by all these, these white guys, right? So I think that facet is, it's not surprising, but I think it's a mindfuck to parse through. Mm-hmm. And when I think back on what short-term missions represented, I think it was incredibly reductive. And just as you said, Kev, it perpetuated this idea that the secular is out there and then the sacred is in here. Mm-hmm. It is this us versus them. Right. God isn't where you are. Mm-hmm. God is where I am. So I have to bring it to you. Like I got it. I'm in my backpack. So I got to bring God to you. Mm-hmm. That was part of the language, right? I want to bring Christ to the nations. I want to bring God to the ends of to the, the nations. You know, like to the ends of the, the earth, right? And this idea of I have to bring God there implies that God is itty bitty and is not there already. I'm like, y'all don't believe God's omnipotent, apparently. Oh, no, I believe God is everywhere. No, if you did, if you really did, if you really took that belief to the nth degree, I do now at this point. I can tell by my lack of worry yeah. for the souls of humanity that God's already out there with everybody, you know? Yeah. Mason, I'm curious for you, right, as a theologian. And as a Christian, too. And as a Christian, right? <laughs> There's a reason why I'm still a Christian. Yeah. How do you reconcile? Like, I guess, like, what is your perspective on things like evangelism in general, proselytization, or any any of that kind of conversational Christianity? Like, how does that even work? Yeah, I, I actually, here's what's interesting. I do make a differentiation between proselytizing and evangelism. Mm. When Kev says, hey, here's some tarot readings or here's like some crystal stuff that like, I mean, I can just tell you this, like the thing I evangelize the most for is meditation and daily practice right now. Yeah. Right. Whatever it is. Like there's something that we're like, Hey, you should do this. This has been great for me. I think you might like this too. You might not want to use the word evangelism. That's totally fine. You don't have to use that. But like, I think at the end of the day, that's what evangelism is because evangelism, the, the Greek word for it is good news. And if that's good news for you and you want to share that with other people who you know and love that you think it might be good news for, then share that. Like, I think that's really a healthy way to engage the world. Like, if there's something where I'm like, hey, Kev, or hey, Adrian. Have you heard of Nexium? (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right, right. You should yeah, know about this. Kale. This is incredible. Yeah. This is great. Like, this is something I love and I think you might love too. I think that's a really great way to engage our relationships in the world. But to expect somebody to be like that or to expect somebody to do something, that's when I think we start to run into some of these problems, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's like a lot of things that I would argue that I evangelize. And one of those things is like process theology, which I know Kev and I have talked about over a burrito probably or whatever it is. Like there's a lot of things, you know, I I might, you know, evangelize about uh, post-hardcore or, you know, tooth and nail records or under oath or, you know, it doesn't matter. Like there's a million things that I'm going to evangelize about. At the end of the day, like share the things that you love in the world with other people you love, but don't necessarily expect them to have to love those things. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a really healthy balance uh, to engage the world. And so anyway, that would be my recommendation. I think there's a lot of things to love about Christianity, even if there's other people out there, maybe like Adrian or Kev, that might not necessarily love Christianity. But I think there's a lot of great things about it where I'm like, hey, this is really cool and wonderful, but I'm not going to expect other people to be like that or to think like that. And so hopefully that's a more healthy balance to live with. Yeah. And I think that what's so silly, not silly, but like I've said this in sessions and like in seminars that I've taught where it's like, I think it's really annoying that I had to tell everybody about white Jesus growing up. And then now on this other side of it, where I've got like a relationship with Jesus as my teacher, guru, brother, and friend, I want to tell everybody about these weird ass mystical experiences that they could be having with this person who died over 2000 years ago if they want to. And I know that I sound like a fucking psychopath and I don't need other people to believe it. I don't need anybody to have the same experience as me to validate my spiritual experiences now. I'm on the same thing as you. I think proselytizing is like, because I think that your soul's in hell, I'm telling you this. Evangelizing, I I mean, I wouldn't call it that. I would just call it. Or sharing or whatever it is. Like, I'm totally fine with whatever you want to call it. But I still do it. Like, yeah, In, in that sense, yeah. I'm an evangelist for Mandalorian, too. I'm also an evangelist for RuPaul's Drag Race. Hey, you've convinced me. Trixie Mattel is hilarious. The great. All the time. And you're the reason why, because you're my evangelist. (laughs) I'm such, listen, I am a disciple of Tracy on Martel. That's for sure. (laughs) Well, I think this is actually a perfect place to land the plane. Is there anything, Mason, Kev, anything y'all wanted to include? Anything we haven't touched on? Closing thoughts on this topic? Y'all should read about process theology because, you know, you're my mission field and I feel like the mission field should know about process theology. I appreciate that. Thanks for using uh, my audience to plug your process theology, Mason. <laughs> uh, no, I think we covered it. I feel, I feel complete. Awesome. Well, listen, I think this was a a perfect way to kind of talk about this. There's no better way to end this episode than with the final segment I like to call Sip, Smoke, Read. Sip, Smoke, Sip, Smoke, Read. So you know we read that shit. Only sip the finest party lit. On my couch and I be up. So you're thinking, listen to these idiots. But here you keep on listening. You also listen, major pain corner to the latest book. Rock dots, bitch. Browse over, watch a show, just take a look. Probably cartoons. They call me little fishy for my hooks. Down by now you gotta sip, smoke, sip, smoke, wait. Well, friends, if you don't know what this is, Sip, Smoke, Read is a segment where we talk about what are we sipping, what are we smoking, what are we reading, what are we eating, what are we enjoying, what are we watching, anything and everything you are participating in and doing 
to get through these trying times that these we call unprecedented the year, these unprecedented times. times in the year of our Lord 2023. I can go first. Ted Lasso is back. Mm. I, uh, <laughs> I have, God, straight people, y'all are obsessed. I don't know. I don't know why. Y'all fucking love this dude. I can't explain what it is. I think it's because there is a hole in my heart for heartwarming comedy shows that has like a little bit of heart. It's kind of something funny, has a little bit of heart. The Office was that for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that stopped. And there really wasn't anything that's like, this is a quick watch. It's simple, easy to, to jump into. I can passively enjoy it. And it has a little bit of heart and I feel kind of good. And then you developed a Ted Lasso shaped heart. I did. Exactly. Ted Lasso hit that hole. Yeah. And then you started evangelizing for Ted Lasso. I am here evangelizing for Ted Lasso. Jesus. Not your, your mission ends. field, Adrian, <laughs> not your mission field right here. Oh, man. As far as what I am drinking, my brother, so it was my 34th birthday uh, about a couple weeks ago. Yep. Older than Jesus. Feeling pretty good. Feels great. You made it. You're I doing better God. than him. Doing better than JC. Jeez. That's for damn sure. Yeah. yeah. Pilot didn't get you. <laughs> he didn't get me this time. Nice try, bitch. And Free so I, <laughs> I, um, my brother sent me uh, two boxes of coffee from a roaster called Onyx. They are Cute. both Ethiopia uh, single origin coffees. They're absolutely delicious. Shout out to my brother, Derek. Thank you for that coffee. There's two different gummies that I've been enjoying to try and help myself sleep slash recover from like some hard workouts. One is a CBD gummy from a brand called Raya. That's been really, really good. Not a sponsor, but they probably should be. <laughs> and then the other is a Delta 9 gummy from a company called Botany Farms. So both of those, it's been nice to like chill out and relax, but not in a way that makes me really, really thirsty, which I found Delta 8 makes me up pretty freaking thirsty. Yeah, for real. I know that feeling. Yeah, so, so thirsty. And I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. I don't want to be dehydrated. You know, I, I feel like I need to retain. Cotton mouth. Yeah, it's the worst, worst way to wake up. And then lastly, I've been like trying to, there's a book that I've been reading called Atomic Habits. It's basically like just this book about paying attention to the things that you want to foster and then actively taking steps to tweak the habits that you don't actually like that aren't leading you towards the kind of person you want to become or the kind of person you feel like you are. Mm. Nice. One of the things that I've been finding is that social media has not been doing me any good, mm. any good at all. Mm. It has been really fucking with me. Same. It just messes with my mental health. I experience a lot of envy over people who I see who are doing really cool shit get really hard on myself if I feel like I'm not creating something in a certain way or I feel mm. overly kind of self-conscious or like really worried. So all that to say, I've been like trying to do a thing where I delete all of my social media so that I don't get tempted to just open it up and browse mindlessly. And then I only open up the apps when I want to actually post something that I'm creating mm. um, because mm. I'm trying to foster creativity and kind of round off the edges of like just consuming, consuming, because I can just tell it's not doing me any good. So I'm not going to say I'm going to do that forever, but I feel like I need just something to kind of disrupt my rhythm that might help me in the long run. You know what I'm saying? Well, Elon Musk, if you're listening, please read the book that Adrian just mentioned. <laughs> and delete all your social media, please, God. God, amen to that, I guess. <laughs> That's it for me, my friends. Mason, you are next to me on my screen. Would you like to go next? I can do it. Uh, you, you might have to remind me like all the... Sip and it's, smoke it's anything. What are you enjoying? What are you enjoying? Right, anything at all. It can be food. It can be drinks, shows, music, whatever. Quite literally, right now, 
as we're recording, I am sipping on some Savion Savier Blanc, uh, and I Sauvignon don't... Blanc. You mean no Savier Blanc? <laughs> I don't speak French. I don't give a shit. <laughs> How is it? Some some Blanc. Some Blanc. Okay, some Blanc. Drinking some some kind of wet wine. <laughs> it's something enough to like drink a lot of it. Oh. So that's nice. Are you a wine person, Mason? I will literally drink anything in terms of alcohol, except anything that's like dairy or milky, like Bailey's can't do that. Okay. So you won't do like a white Russian. Yeah. No white Russian kind of thing, but wine, any like cocktails. Yeah. I, I really can do anything except something that's like super milky and dairy. But yeah, I've been uh, doing a little blanc <laughs> right now. That's been nice. Savier blanc. So that's why I've been sipping on. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Here's the thing, like if you listen to my podcast enough, any one of my podcasts enough, you will know that I mispronounce every single word. We love you for Most it. of that is because I, yeah, I grew up in South Dakota. Like I got South Dakota public ed- education. <laughs> like what do you, else do you expect from me? No shame in the game, Mason. No shame in the game. Mm-hmm. You do a lot with a little. That's right. Uh, in terms of smoking, I don't smoke anything as much as even like Kev has uh, asked me. Like Kev, every you are time. one of the most generous smokers I've ever met in my life. I really appreciate it. It's my duty and my honor. I feel so bad every time I like say like, no, thank you. I am much more of an edibles person too, Adrian. I don't know if I have any edibles to plug other than, hey, I'm looking for edibles that will actually get me to sleep. That would be nice. Um, and keep me asleep. Keep you asleep. Shout out to whatever those are. You need like a 50 milligram Delta 8. That would knock you the fuck out. No, no, no. Anything that gets me too high, I'm like done. I got got some stuff I'll send you. I got some stuff for you, Mason. Yeah. If I get too high, I'm like, my mind is racing. Can't do that. Just do like a, just do like a, like a CBD tincture, like a really strong, like a really good CBD. That might be what I need. So I just read a book. I've got it pulled up here on, uh, Amazon, the God forbidden Amazon. Uh, it's called The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space Time, and Dreams Deferred. Oh, shit. <laughs> Unbelievable book. It was by this very well known physicist who is this uh, agender black person who, oh my God, unbelievable book. It basically just like goes into like the sexism and the racism of the physics world, but also is like, hey, this is why like physics and science is really cool and why it should matter to you if you're a person of color, if you're a person who is a gender minority. Anyway, it was very, very interesting. I just read that as an audiobook. I guess I didn't technically read it if it was an audiobook, but who gives a fuck? So anyway, read that. Highly recommend it. Person's name is Shonda Prescott Weinstein. Highly recommend that book. Oh, last thing I need to mention. I have been watching a show that... I think it's still like in the process of like every episode is coming out every week, but it is called Milf Manor. And oh if, my there's, God, one thing, yes, if there's one thing, if there's one thing to know about me, I am a fan of trashy reality TV. And this is oh, one of the better ones the I've best. seen in the last This is few one years. of the best pieces of film and television. What's it on? It's on TLC. So if you have like the TLC app or you're able to get like TLC or whatever, get the free trial for seven weeks. It's okay. literally about women who are like, 40 or 50 or maybe even 60 years old who are very attractive and their sons 
are then dating the other contestants who are like the mothers. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Unbelievable television. You get it's all the so, drama you want in reality cringy. TV, and also it's super cringy because you get mothers and sons together. It's awesome. <laughs> it's like why could like because like could we sink any lower than yeah. you know pitting people together and making them act like they want to fall in love with each other? Yes, yes, we can. <laughs> I one time saw like a tweet that was like the the producers of TLCs have a surefire way of going to hell because they develop the <laughs> oh, worst, yeah. like the cringiest, the most unethical. Like, TV I don't shows, believe in hell, and it. I think they're going there. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, highly recommend Milf Manor. Uh, but that's what I'm sipping. That's what I'm sm- kind of smoking, yeah. chewing, I guess, and uh, that's what I'm uh, reading and watching. Awesome. Bless it. Thank you, Mason. Kev, last but not least. Bringing it home. Um, sipping presently water, but I am about to go to karaoke night, and I'm going to be drinking, probably going to go for a tequila, pineapple, and Sprite tonight because, again, horrible day, mm. and I plan on getting a little drunk, if I'm being honest. Good on you. Two, smoking Larry Bird OG. It's um, a hybrid that leads. I think it's. I think it's a hybrid that leads on the sativa side, which is what I prefer. Well, then we gotta let Mason process. Mason's not used to to, to weed names. <laughs> no, no. I I have a funny story about something named Larry Bird. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait your turn. Yeah. Reading. I just. I'm also an audiobook girl because reading is sometimes difficult for my ADHD and my dyslexia. And I would like to plug two books that actually Blake Chastain, also host of the mm. Evangelical podcast, please go listen. He suggested these two books. The first one is called A Psalm for the Wild Built. And the second one is called A Prayer for the Crown Shy. They're two fantasy novellas Ooh. set in some kind of not Earth place, but human humans rule. Robots became self-aware years ago, but then rather than like making them work, we like humanity turned around and like became like this like queer eco paradise where everybody's doing the right thing and this monk who's trying to figure out their shit a non-binary main character meets a robot when they're out in the wilderness and then hijinks ensue as they ask the question what do you need oh man it's existential as fuck it's so delicious i'm a big fan what are those titles again kev those titles are a prayer for the crown shy and a psalm for the wild built by Becky Chambers, part of the Monk and Robot series. Got it. Thank you. And as far as what I'm watching, anything and everything with Pedro Pascal, he is the daddy of my dreams. I want him to sit on my face. <laughs> I want him to tell me that I'm special, and I want him. <laughs> I want him. Period. <sighs> I want him to do bad things to me. He listens to. He listens I want to the him. show. So hey, hey, Pedro, shout out. I knew it. I knew it, Pedro. Hi. <laughs> Yeah, so The Last of Us, mm. Mandalorian, and I think that kind of covers everything. Um, oh, and I'm reading the book. The I'm doing a really deep, in-depth study of the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. Oh, oh my God! I'm a devotee of Krishna. Sorry, everybody. That and also um, the Bhakti Sutra. I'm reading through that, and it's just oh, delicious. Very much into yogic applied philosophy these days. Mm. Can't wait to join your cult. Absolutely. Speaking of, wait, do we plug things yet, or do I? Well, if there's anything else, there's nothing else you want to do from a sip, smoke, read standpoint. I'm complete. Well, let's go ahead and start doing some plugs. How can people connect with you? What's coming up? What's coming? What's exciting? Tell us all of the things. Mason, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I can go first. Uh, so 
first off, if you want to connect with me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm very active on there. Uh, despite uh, the chagrins of Adrian Gibbs and Elon Musk, I am very active on there. <laughs> yeah, you can find me uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Very easy to find. There's one other Mason Menega in the world. And if you find that guy, there's no way you would. So uh, <laughs> just saying. Because he's dead in his basement. He's not dead. I killed him. Uh, that I know of. He's not dead. Because I killed him. Because Kevin killed him. If there's a guy that looks like he owns lizards, probably not the right Mason Menega. Wait, that's finding. you though. That was that's you, you all the way. You oh look like goodness. you could own some fucking lizards, my dude. You own at least one snake. You have one iguana. <laughs> I I look like I will destroy you in a mosh pit. That's what and I you look take like. that iguana to the park on a fucking leash because you're insufferable. <laughs> Sorry, Mason. Please continue. Don't don't let Kevin rag on you like that. I'm sorry. Anyway, Instagram and Twitter and find me in a mosh pit, uh, not at a lizard store. <laughs> and you can also find me on Patreon. I do have a Patreon. So if you're a person that really likes the Dirty Rotten Church Kids and you're a supporter of Patreon and you're like, hey, I've got some I've got another Starbucks coffee that I can give away every month. I've got a tier for you and you can find all my stuff uh, on, again, on Patreon. Uh, that would be super helpful. And also I do have a YouTube channel that I've been trying to build up over the last few months. I've gotten a lot of videos released recently. So if you're like a person that's like, you know what? I don't believe this about Christianity, but like, what is it that I do believe about the world? My YouTube channel might be helpful. I've got some like fun short videos Hopefully there's enough skillet jokes in there. And also I just released my first podcast video on there. So like trying to do like a high quality video podcast. Nice. So I got that on there now. So if you're like interested in any of that stuff, find my YouTube again, I'm pretty easy to find. So anyway, that's all I got to plug. And your podcasts are called? So I've got a podcast called A People's Theology, which again is a theology podcast. So if you're interested in like, hey, what is it that I do believe in the world? That's a good podcast. And if you're a person that was like, Hey, I really like, like Reliant K and Under Oath and those kind of bands. I've got a music podcast where I interview all those bands. So you can check that podcast out. And that's called the Black Sheep Podcast. Black Sheep is one word. Pretty easy to find. But anyway, Black Sheep Podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Kev? If you want to find me across social media, you can find me at the Kevin Garcia. That's T-H-E, Kevin Garcia. My website is thekevingarcia.com. My first book is called Bad Theology Kills, Undoing Toxic Belief and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority. It's available at Bad Theology Kills worldwide and available on Audible for all of you Audible girls. Did you read it on Audible? Is that you? Yeah, oh my God. it's me. That's great. And also, it's the second edition of the book. Y'all ho hose it now I had a second edition of the book oh, because that's shit. what happens when you own the rights. Oh, oh my goodness. But yeah, go listen to it. It's the best thing. I've, I've actually been listening to it and I was like, shit, I said some good stuff in here. <laughs> Second book's coming out January 2024. Oh, yeah. It's called What Makes You Bloom. Pre-orders will be available in June. And two things coming up. One, if you are deconstructing your faith and whatnot, and you're trying to figure out how to do spirituality better or how to do spirituality outside of strict Christianity, I'm running something called the Living Practice Summer School. It's nine weeks of doing online movement, meditation, and embodiment work. Super affordable. You can get in on a really cheap price and you can set up a payment plan as well. Two, I'm hosting my first real ass retreat ever. What? So if you want to come to Wild Spirit Weekend, August 17th through 20th near Knoxville, Tennessee in the mountains, go to my website. Registration will be up soon. 
and my podcast, A Tiny Revolution. Please go listen to that and subscribe and buy my merch because it helps me pay my bills and send me money because sometimes it's hard for things and I'm um <laughs> I'm so tired. You ain't getting that missionary money anymore. Now rolling in that dough like it used to be. Literally, I can't tell you that I'm going to be saving souls, but what I can tell you is that I will be giving you high quality entertainment. <laughs> That serves charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. So thank you once again. I'm the Kevin Garcia. I love all you bitches. And Adrian, thank you for having us on the show. What a great time. What a delicious moment. Oh, my God. I appreciate you all so much. Kevin, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And, and Mason, I'm so glad I got to bring you on. You both are wonderful people. This means so much to me. Yeah, I love you. I feel like I, I showed up in your Instagram feed enough where I'm like, God, I feel like I should get in here. <laughs> I know, I still pay the Piper. I got to pay the man, don't I? Not the John Piper, but the Mason Piper. <laughs> pay the Mason Piper. Everyone, if you're listening Not to Mason this, Piper. the Mason Piper. That sounds so creepy and gross. The Mason Piper. Uh, with your snake and your lizards. Actually, can you start a, a parody account called the Mason Piper? I think you should. And just convince everybody else that you're Abraham Piper's brother. <laughs> Mason Piper. Sorry. Okay. Close us uh, out. Close us yeah, out. Yeah. If you're listening to this show and you want to continue to support the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast, you can check out dirtyrottenchurchkids.com. This is the final season, my friends. This is it. Bow, I am bow. landing the plane this year. So if you want to buy some merch, now's the time to fucking do it because it ain't going to exist next year. Limited edition, bitch. Limited edition. Uh, if you would like to follow me on social media, even though I'm not on it anymore for the sake of my own mental health, you can certainly do that. I might post every so often. You can find all those links on dirtyrottenchurchkids.com. If you would like to support me on Patreon, it really helps. It helps pay producer Del Breezy, who is the man behind the curtain making the show happen. Shout out to producer Del Breezy. Thank you, Del Breezy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. By supporting it, you will get not only access to a Patreon-only Discord, but you will also get the video content of these episodes behind the paywall. You get to see some behind-the-scenes footage that's not going to make it on the episode because it's just going to be on. It's going to be a, it's a great story. It's going to land on the cutting room floor because it wasn't good enough. Yeah, absolutely. Which will be most of this interview. <laughs> most of this interview. <laughs> this entire episode for the most part. Especially this last part. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Thank you, thank you so much, Mason and Kevin, for being here on the show. It means so much. We love you a lot. Thanks a billion. Keep up the dirty work, everyone. And remember, it's, it's all going to be okay. okay. Huge shout out to my friends Kevin and Mason for co-hosting this episode with me. Hopefully hearing our stories and stories from the bad apples offer some solidarity and support take care of each other and be kind to yourself you know how these things go construction projects they say three months and then after two years the lazy bums haven't even started now we're those lazy bums i gotta get off this bus first corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that here at the speaking in church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church it's a podcast about change it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side you can listen wherever you get your podcast and if you want to be a guest yes you regular person you can be a guest on the speaking in church podcast if you want to come on just let us know